Hello and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and today I'm going to be checking in on my predictions for the most adopted cards from Wilds of Eldraine, as well as sharing my thoughts on which new cards from Lost Caverns of Ixalan are going to see the most play in Commander. And as a reminder, these predictions are just for the main set and do not include cards from Lost Caverns Commander. But before I jump in, I want to briefly talk about my Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes, for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help me out by rating or reviewing the show wherever you get your podcasts. All right, with that out of the way, let's check in on my predictions from Wilds of Eldraine. And I'll preface this by saying that if you go back and listen to that episode, I did not show a ton of confidence in my predictions. And I think that lack of confidence bore out in terms of what cards were actually adopted from Wilds of Eldraine. So my predictions were number one, Moonshaker Cavalry, the white crater hoof. Number two, Stroke of Midnight, the slight tweak on Generous Gift. Number three, Fairy Slumber Party, uh, which was the mass bounce spell that also made some fairy tokens. Number four on my list was Virtue of Knowledge. That was the Panharmonicon plus uh, a little adventure that copies activated or triggered abilities. Number five on my list was Beseech the Mirror, the four mana tutor that you could bargain it to cast the spell you searched for if it was mana value four or less. Number six on my list was Unruly Catapult, the slightly more expensive Thermo Alchemist variant. Number seven on my list was Song of Totentons. Uh, that was X and a red for a sorcery. Create X, one, one black rats that can't block. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Number eight on my list was Virtue of Courage. This was the red virtue that when you dealt non-combat damage to an opponent, impulse draw that many cards and has an adventure that hits something for two for two mana. Number nine on my list was Virtue of Strength. This was the green virtue, seven mana for an enchantment. If you tap a basic land for mana, it produces three times as much of that mana instead and has an adventure where you can pay a single green mana to return a creature or land from your graveyard to your hand. Number 10 on my list was Kellen the Fey-Blooded. Kellen is, of course, the three mana, two, two, double strike. Other creatures you control get plus and plus for each aura and equipment attached to Kellen. And he has an adventure that for two mana, you can search your library for an aura and equipment card and put into your hand. So the actual top 10 were Stroke of Midnight, Beseech the Mirror, Moonshaker Cavalry, Virtue of Strength, and Virtue of Knowledge. So I got those five right. But the next five were Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And that's the artifact that taps to exile creatures from graveyards, puts plus and plus one counters on creatures, and then Creatures you control with plus and plus one counters have all activated abilities of all creatures exiled with it. Number seven was Up the Beanstalk. That's the two mana green enchantment that when it enters a battlefield, you draw a card. And whenever you cast a spell with mana value five or greater, you draw a card. Number eight was Collector's Vault. That's the two mana artifact. You can pay two, tap it, draw a card and discard a card and create a treasure token. Number nine is Lich Knight's Conquest. That's the five mana black sorcery. You can sacrifice any number of artifacts, enchantments, and tokens and return that many creatures from your graveyard to the battlefield. 
And then number 10 was virtue of persistence. Uh, Virtue of persistence being the black virtue. It's seven mana for enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And it has an adventure where you can pay two mana and target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn and you gain two life. So I wasn't confident. Five out of 10 is honestly like best I could have hoped for. I'm going to take a minute to discuss like why I I missed some of these cards that ended up in the actual top 10. And then after that, we'll move on to the LCI predictions. So Agatha's Soul Cauldron. This one's kind of interesting. It didn't show up in any particular deck more than any other. So according to EDH Rec, it's it's currently seeing play in just under 10,000 decks, but it's pretty fairly well spread out. A slightly higher adoption in like Kinnon decks, in Sisse Weatherlight Captain, decks that have commanders with powerful activated abilities and lots of creatures with activated abilities. But it's possible that I, I was undervaluing this as a source of plus and plus one counters or as graveyard hate. To me, it seemed like it was doing three different things and, and like it wasn't doing any of them particularly well. As graveyard hate, you can do a lot better than this. As a way to put plus and plus one counters on things, you could do a lot better than this. And then as sort of like a, a combo engine, it, it is a little bit painful to exile your combo pieces in a, a format like Commander where like you know, grinding things out and recurring things can be a, like a valid path to victory. This card had a lot of characteristics that I tend to undervalue. And so I can see why uh, it didn't make it onto my list, but resonated more with the community. Up the Beanstalk, this like flew under a lot of people's radar initially. And I think it's in part due to its explosive popularity in modern that a lot of people have wanted to try it in Commander. And Taking a look at sort of what decks are running this, the decks that are adopting it the most are things like Emoti Celebrant of Bounty, the Naga Druid that grants your spells with mana value six or greater cascade. I think that makes a lot of sense. Also, Xenagos God of Revels tends to play one expensive creature per turn. Also, Kiora Sovereign of the Deep, a fair number of those decks are adopting this as well. So there's some high mana value decks that are certainly trying this. It was unexpected because it doesn't seem like a card that's good broadly in Commander. But I think maybe we just saw a large number of decks running Haymakers all choose to adopt it. All right. As for Collector's Vault, uh, this is currently seeing play in just under 9,000 decks, according to EDHREC. And it's mostly seeing adoption in, in two types of lists. Uh, there are a couple treasure decks that are running it, so it's seeing some adoption in Galazeth Prismari, Jolene the, the Plunder Queen, Magda Brazen Outlaw, but also it's seeing play in decks that just need discard outlets. So like Greasefang, Okiba Boss, Asmore, Magar of the Magic Strings. I think Greasefang, it makes a ton of sense because there's not a huge number of discard outlets in a black-white color identity. Maybe it makes a little less sense in Asmore and Magar when you already have access to really good red discard outlets, but I understand why people are, are running it there. All right, Lich Knight's Conquest. This one, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it go down in the ranking over time. It's looking like it's seeing a lot of play in food decks, which makes sense, and token decks, so like Tesa Karlov, Radadrabic. Of those... Um, Radadrabic makes a lot of sense. Strefan makes a lot of sense. 
So DC Brood Tyrant is also running it. That makes sense too. Those three commanders are actively filling their graveyard with creatures, or they're able to. If you have like a high creature count in your Strephon deck, then you can easily get things there by sacking blood. And then you can also sack your blood tokens to the Lich Knight's Conquest. So that makes some sense. Radadrabic is sacrificing things. You're going to end up with a lot of legendaries in your graveyard as you're making your tokens. And then those tokens can, of course, be sacrificed to the Lich Knight's Conquest. Tesa Karlov is definitely sacrificing a lot of things because of her dying, doubling. Uh, and then she tends to have a little bit of a token theme because of her, her second ability. It, it definitely seems like an, a niche card, which is why I'm surprised it ended up in the top 10. Maybe not that many cards overall from Wilds of Eldraine were being adopted. I didn't mention the the counts earlier of which of the top 10 saw the most play, but there's an enormous gap between Stroke of Midnight at 30,000 decks as of the time of recording and the next most popular one, which is Beseech the Mirror at 13,000 decks. So all these cards we've been talking about today, Beseech the Mirror, 13,000, Moonshaker, 11,000, Virtue of Strength, 10,000, Virtue of Knowledge, 10,000, and then 9,000, 9,000, 9,000, 9,000 for the, the next four. It seems like overall, Wilds of Eldraine wasn't a particularly impactful set. That's why we're maybe seeing like cards that are kind of niche, kind of narrow, not broadly useful, showing up in the top 10 just because there aren't enough actual good cards to uh, to round out a top 10 list. Perhaps that's an opportunity to segue into the next one. Virtue of Persistence. When I talked about it in the set review, I was not incredibly high on this card. It does seem very slow and expensive, and, and the rate does not seem quite good enough for what we ought to expect in Commander these days. It's not seeing broad adoption. Uh, it's seeing a little bit of play in like Rowan Scion of War decks, I guess because it's an expensive card that she can reduce the cost of, but that's not fantastic. It's seeing play in Anakthea Hand of Erebos, and that makes sense. It's an expensive enchantment that you can discard and then cheat into play. That certainly is one of the things I suggested during the set review that could be done with it. But overall, what I'm seeing here doesn't like change my evaluation of the card as one that's just not generally useful in Commander. All right, let's move on to the Lost Caverns of Ixalan predictions. And I would say this is a lot easier than the Wilds of Eldraine predictions were because there are a number of new staples. In this case, I, I was having to like cut cards in order to get to... 10 as opposed to Wilds of Eldraine where I was struggling to fill out a top 10 list. So I, I would expect my hit rate for these predictions to be much higher this, this next time. But let's kick it off with the first card. This is Get Lost. One in a white instant. Destroy target, creature, planeswalker, or enchantment. Its controller creates two map tokens. Reasoning for this is Fateful Absence is in 20,000 decks on EDH rec. It looks a lot like Fateful Absence. Uh, it's one of the cards in the set that is seeing like more exposure in Standard, more exposure in Pioneer. It's just a very versatile removal spell uh, at instant speed. I think it's the best white card in the set. I know that like white staples have historically not caught on as well as they ought to in part because a card like this is certainly like not the 
best white removal spell. This is probably like maybe the fifth or the sixth. It's it's definitely down the line, but it is, I think, an excellent card. It might it might get lost because it's kind of like a an unsexy upgrade, but I I don't feel bad putting a card of this caliber and, and of this quality on my list. All right, next up is Kite Sail Larcenist. It is two and a blue for a creature human pirate. It's a 2-3 flyer, and it has Ward 1. It also has, when it enters the battlefield, for each player, choose up to one other target creature or artifact that player controls. For as long as Kite Sail Larcenist remains on the battlefield, the chosen permanents become treasure artifacts with tap, sacrifice this artifact, add one mana of any color, and lose all other abilities. So this is, of course, one of the best pirates for the pirate decks, but it's also just a very strong blue creature. It can lock down opposing commanders. It can shut off soul rings. It's kind of like a grasp of fate, but on a creature. And that seems like a a fairly good deal for three mana. I, I think this is just like one of the better blue cards in the set. Great way to control multiple opponents in a format like Commander. I, I think it has some legs in the format. Next up on my list is Tishana's Tidebinder. Tishana's Tidebinder is two and a blue for a 3-2 creature Merfolk Wizard with Flash. When she enters the battlefield, counter up to one target activated or triggered ability. If an ability of an artifact creature or planeswalker is countered this way, that permanent loses all abilities for as long as Deshauna's Tidebinder remains on the battlefield. And as a reminder, mana abilities can't be targeted. So uh, as I mentioned in the set review, um, the majority of my commanders would get hit by Tishana's Tidebinder and just locked down. The flash is great. You can really surprise an opponent. You can keep mana up for other things. And then Tishana's Tidebinder, if uh, you get a good moment, a good opportunity. So I'm pretty happy with this card. I think it's a great way to lock down commanders. All right, next up is Bitter Triumph. This is one in the black for an instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker, and as an additional cost to cast it, you must either pay three life or discard a card. So this looks to me like an Infernal Grasp. It's slightly better in some cases. Infernal Grasp is in 143,000 decks on EDH rec. So a card that's like plus or minus good, a card that's approximately as good, I would expect to see a lot of adoption as well. All right, next on my list is Bonehorde Dracosaur. It's three red red for a creature dinosaur dragon with flying and first strike. It's a 5-5, and at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. If you exiled a land card this way, create a 3-1 red dinosaur creature token. If you exiled a non-land card this way, create a treasure token. This is a decent card. It is something that requires a turn to get going but it's a strong member of two very popular creature types. By being both a dinosaur and a dragon, it opens itself up to being included as an upgrade to the Pontlaza precon, as an, a new card for Gishath decks, and it finds its way into the many, many, many red dragon decks. So I think this is a solid card. This one is one of the only cards in the set that I'm betting on that isn't just broadly useful but i think that the decks that it fits into are popular enough that i think they would be happy to pick up this card all right next on my list is zoyowa's justice 
So this is one and a red for an instant. The owner of target artifact or creature with mana value one or greater shuffles it into their library. Then that player discovers X where X is its mana value. And discover X means they exile cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with that mana value or less. They cast it without paying its mana cost or put it into their hand. Then they put the rest on the bottom in a random order. As I mentioned in the set review, this just seems like a new red staple. There are not a lot of effective ways to answer creatures in red, especially larger creatures with high toughness. And this gets it done. So I'm high on this card. And for reference, Wild Magic Surge is currently in 49,000 decks on EDH Rec. Next up is Earthshaker Dreadmaw. Four green green for a 6-6 creature dinosaur with Trample. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card for each other dinosaur you control. This is another one similar to Bonehorde Dracosaur. It's not broadly useful, but it's an easy upgrade for any dinosaur deck that people are building. It's currently going for 12 cents, so it's very, very easy to obtain. It's powerful, certainly has good stats for the cost, and is likely just to draw you a lot of cards if you hit it off a Gishath or something. I think for that reason, it's likely to see a lot of adoption just because dinosaurs are so popular, and and that's why I'm including it on the list. Next on the list is Roaming Throne. It is 4 mana for a 4-4 artifact creature golem with ward 2. As it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Roaming Throne is the chosen type in addition to its other types, and if a triggered ability of another creature you control of the chosen type triggers, it triggers an additional time. So this could be a great card to add to many tribal decks, especially ones that have a lot of triggers. But it's also just a very useful card for doubling up on your commander's triggers because you don't really need to have a deck full of whatever creature type. You could just name your commander's creature type and it'll get you a ton of value. Just for that use alone, this card could fit into a ton of decks. It has a colorless identity. It it could fit into any color identity really so i think it's a useful card that will probably see a lot of adoption next up is pit of offerings it's a land cave enters the battlefield tapped and when it enters the battlefield exile up to three target cards from graveyards it taps for colorless and it also taps to add one mana of any of the exiled cards colors so it's a bit like a colorless bajuka bog and for reference, Bajugabog is currently in 523,000 decks on EDH Rec. Uh, and Scavenger Grounds, which is another colorless way to attack graveyards that happens to be a land, Scavenger Grounds is in 123,000 decks on EDH Rec. Given the popularity of lands that hose graveyards, I think Pit of Offerings is going to be an easy addition to the format. It's also very affordable too. Currently, it's going for 19 cents on TCG Player. All right, the 10th and final card on my list is Volatile Fault. Volatile Fault is a land cave. It taps for a colorless, and it has one tap, sacrifice Volatile Fault, destroy target non-basic land an opponent controls. That player may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle you create a treasure token. So this looks a lot like Ghost Quarter. Plus or minus, maybe a little bit worse. It does require you to hold up two mana, 
Whereas with Ghost Quarter, you can just hold up the Ghost Quarter itself. But it does refund the mana you put into it in the form of that treasure token. So it's approximately as good. Maybe I think a little bit worse. But for reference, Ghost Quarter is in 105,000 decks on EDH rec. So I think there is room for another card like this in the format that just sits in your mana base, answers problematic lands as they arise for a, a relatively cheap cost. All right, I've got two quick honorable mentions. Molten Collapse is red-black for a sorcery. Choose one. If you descended this turn, you may choose both instead. You can either destroy target creature or planeswalker, or destroy target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value one or less. So this is just an upgrade for Dreadbore, and Dreadbore is currently in 21,000 decks on EDH rec. But generally, because they fit into fewer decks, multicolor cards aren't as likely to see a lot of adoption. So that's why I'm a little bit low on this card, despite the fact that it's an upgrade on a card that already sees play. And then my other honorable mention is Glimpse the Core. Glimpse the Core is one in a green for a sorcery. Choose one, return target cave from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, or search your library for a basic forest card, put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So it seems worse than, say, a Rampant Growth or a Nature's Lore or Three Visits, but Rampant Growth is currently in 42% of mono green decks, according to EDHREC. And in a mono green list, it's approximately as good as Rampant Growth. So there may be a little room for it because it's kind of the same as these cards that do see a fair amount of play, but it's also just like not very sexy. It looks a lot worse in most cases, and it's just not very exciting. We'll, we'll check back on it when we start doing the predictions for the next set, Murders at Karlov Manor. But that is the end of this episode. I've given you my top 10. I've given you my honorable mentions. Let me know what you think the most adopted cards from Lost Caverns of Ixalan are going to be. Really excited to hear your input, and we'll see how our predictions shake out in a couple months. Before we go, I want to give a brief thank you to my Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, James, Bryce, Benjamin, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal, Brutal, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Quincy, Carrie, Stephen, The Longs, Vincent, Maceo, Dylan, Cameron, Icy Wiener, Aiden, Scott, 16Bitcoin, Alex, Andreas, Rubix, Christian, Cass, Shane, Jeffrey, and Jim. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. <laughs>